This is Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Thanks so much for joining me. So now I want to kind of change gears and talk about mental health. If the last year and a half has been a series of peaks and valleys in terms of your emotional and mental well-being, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone. In so many ways, the pandemic has been a double-edged sword. So much loss, so much isolation, but it's also granted us clarity around the systems of oppression that are so commonplace in our society. The grueling work schedules, the grind of 24-7 connectivity, the gig economy, the insanely high cost of health care and child care. There are so many aspects of this modern world that can leave us feeling tired, worn down, and just barely keeping it together day after day. Which is why it felt like such a powerful shift when over the last couple of months, a string of young athletes began to take back their power and place boundaries around themselves in the name of preserving and prioritizing their mental health. Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, Raven Saunders, and others have publicly taken their mental health into their hands in a way never seen before in elite sports. And although I am far from a professional athlete, I have to say it's been powerful and inspiring to witness. It's made me feel a little braver to be okay with not always being okay. And it seems as though other people are also finding their own power from seeing these young public figures standing up and proudly claiming their humanity and their right to preserve their health. So is it a fad or is this truly inspiring a larger shift toward really valuing and talking honestly about our mental health as a society for the first time? We'll spend the rest of the hour talking about the ways that the collective conversation about mental health and well-being is changing in this moment. And of course, I really want to hear from you. Joining me for this conversation is author and writer Anna North, who is a senior correspondent for Vox, where she recently wrote a piece titled America's Mental Health Moment is Finally Here. Anna, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm also joined by Dr. Cindy Morgan, a clinical psychologist with more than 35 years of experience. Dr. Morgan, welcome to Detroit Today. So glad to be here. So, Anna, uh, I'll start with you. For people who might not be following the news around these young athletes who have recently stood up and kind of set some really strong and firm boundaries around work for the sake of their mental health needs, kind of catch us up to speed. Provide a little context here. Absolutely. So I, I think we first saw this coming up with um, with Naomi Osaka, um, you know, who's obviously an internationally renowned tennis player. Um, and earlier this year, um, she said that she wouldn't be doing interviews around a tournament. She wouldn't be doing press conferences um, saying, um, you know, I'm not a natural public speaker. I get huge waves of anxiety before I speak to the world's media. And she also mentioned that she dealt with depression. Um, she actually ended up pulling out of some tournaments um, and really taking some time for herself. Um, that, you know, became a big story. A lot of folks were talking about it. And then, you know, I think this issue started to get even more attention during the Olympics when Simone Biles, who's maybe, you know, the most watched athlete going into the Olympics, at least, um, you know, in the United States, um, she kind of, um, you know, took stock of herself and she said, I'm not going to compete in certain of these events because I'm not there mentally. She said, I have to focus on my mental health and not jeopardize my health and well-being. Um, And I think that really started a big conversation around mental health, not just for athletes, but really for all of us. 
Absolutely. And Dr. Morgan, you know, you actually come to this work with a background as an athlete. And um, of course, you know, this is bigger than just professional athletes. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But I'm wondering uh, if we can start there, Dr. Morgan, in your professional opinion, is there something about the kind of grueling demands of American professional sports that creates an environment that is so ripe for people kind of working right up until their breaking points? Well, there absolutely are a number of things that that particularly exacerbate the pressures on mental health for athletes that are at an elite level. There's the very high, often unrealistic pressures from others to succeed regardless of cost. The unwillingness of other people, whether they're coaches, team doctors, fans, or the press, to really respect healthy boundaries for those athletes, whether that's around their own body or for the privacy that they may need in their life. To train at that elite level also really imposes the kind of isolation most of us never experienced until this pandemic. And perhaps we can understand better what that feels like after the last 18 months. There's also a lot of perfectionism. You know, We really want people to make that perfect 10 and human beings are not perfect. And yet we're demanding a perfect 10 Then there are all the cultural and societal expectations for how one should act as a woman, a man, or an LGBTQ person, a person of color, that can be really at odds with the person's life experience, especially as they look uh, to be under media scrutiny at those elite levels and everyone looking at everything about how they act. Then there are also outdated and even damaging beliefs that are very prevalent both in sports and in American culture, like no pain, no gain, which when I was an athlete was said very often, and we now know is actually not a good thing, that pain is the body signal that says something's going on, or, you know, quitters never win and winners never quit. When the tough gets going, the going gets tough, mind over matter, all those things that sort of say, ignore the signals your body and your mind are giving you and just push through All of that is intensified at the kind of level that Olympic athletes are performing at. Sure. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling filling in for Stephen Henderson, and I'm talking with Anna North, an author and senior correspondent at Vox, where she recently wrote a story titled America's Mental Health Moment is Finally Here. And I'm also talking with Dr. Cindy Morgan, a clinical psychologist with over 35 years of experience. And I want to hear from you. Have you noticed a change in the ways that you think and talk about mental health over the course of the pandemic? Maybe you've started seeing a therapist or other mental health professional. Have mental health check-ins become a more normalized part of your professional and personal relationships? As always, the number on the phones here, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. You can also go on Twitter and use the hashtag Detroit Today to join the conversation. So, Anna, as I was saying a moment ago, uh, you know, this story is really about so much more than just these professional athletes. But uh, focusing in on these athletes for just a minute more, uh, you know, these stories have been so powerful for the rest of us to witness. And from what I've noticed on social media, kind of anecdotally, it seems as though people have been really supportive of these athletes stepping back and kind of prioritizing their mental health. In what ways do you think this response marks a kind of societal shift in how we are valuing our mental health? 
Yeah, I have seen the same. I mean, you know, I think we saw we saw some criticism and, um, you know, certainly certainly there was some pushback. But but really, overwhelmingly, I have seen a lot of support for for Biles and for Osaka as well. And, you know, I think some of that comes out of a certain amount of awareness that's come with the pandemic. I mean, when I think about someone like Simone Biles or someone like Naomi Osaka, these are people who, like a lot of us, have been working through this incredibly devastating and difficult time. And we know that work for athletes has become really hard in these unprecedented ways. They compete with no crowds, you know, no one to cheer them on. They compete without their families, without their friends. Some other tennis stars talked about having to, you know, move from bubble to bubble as they compete, always being isolated. Um, so they've really faced, you know, in different ways from from us, perhaps, but they've they've faced the same kinds of challenges that everyone's been facing when we try to work. And, you know, these jobs as athletes are very cognitively difficult jobs. You think about Simone Biles trying to do these kinds of um these kinds of moves and these kinds of skills and gymnastics that no one's done before. And if she, if, if she's not, if she's not in the headspace that she needs to be in mentally, she could really hurt herself. And she knows that. So I, I think it's the sense that the pandemic has taken a cognitive toll on all of us and like made it harder to go to work every day. And so when we see someone like Simone Biles or someone like Naomi Osaka saying, listen, it's not safe for me to be doing this right now. I need to take a step back. I think a lot of us can see where they're coming from. Absolutely. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. If you want to join the conversation, call and tell us if you noticed a change in the ways that you think and talk about mental health over the course of the pandemic. If you have started seeing a therapist or other mental health professional, maybe mental health check-ins with your loved ones have become a more normalized part of your relationships. Give us a call and let us know. I want to go to the phones now. Sarah on the east side. Sarah, welcome to Detroit today. What's on your mind? Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm actually a mental health provider. I've been doing telehealth therapy throughout the pandemic. Um, and I think that there's there's sort of two sides to this story. On the one hand, because this has been sort of this has been so traumatic and difficult for people, people are becoming more sensitive to their own mental health and and to the mental health of of other people. And I think that's really important that we're starting to pay attention to this as an important aspect of of people's well-being overall, people's health, you know. But I think that there's another side to this that unfortunately part of our society likes to um, use concern about mental health as a fig leaf um, for other actions that need to be taken. It's saying, well, we need to, you know, we're worried about people's mental health. That needs to be the solution as opposed to more structural changes that would relieve a lot of the, the psychological suffering that we're all dealing with right now. Sarah, thanks so much for the call. Dr. Morgan, I'll put that to you. Um, uh, you know, I, I think Sarah makes a really good point there about, uh, you know, in some ways, conversations about mental health and prioritizing it. And in some ways, I mean, seeking therapy, of course, can be so beneficial for people. But in what ways might it be a kind of um, bandage over this deeper systemic issue of uh, a lack of real policy and social safety nets that could give people a greater sense of ease? I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about that. Oh, absolutely. That is a great point that Sarah made. Um, you know, when I'm dealing with people individually in therapy, it's often, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, we're looking at their life, but I always try to be cognizant of and talk with them about what are the larger cultural pressures that are impacting their position? What are the historical factors? So the pandemic would be one of the historical ones. Um, and I think too, that people are talking more about mental health 
funding for mental health is really at perhaps an all-time low because community mental health has been cut year after year after year. So, you know, talk is cheap. It's very easy for people to say, oh, mental health is so important, but um, well, your insurance company will only allow you to see certain providers. Those providers have to often agree to take a cut in pay to see people with that insurance or your insurance will only give you 20 sessions regardless of what the problem is that you're dealing with. So there are some huge systemic issues, both about even dealing with mental health, but then about trying to say, oh yeah, that's why people are upset because they have mental health issues. And it's like, I'm sorry, if you don't have enough money to feed your family or pay your rent, or you are constantly harassed and disrespected because of your color, your gender presentation, or any aspect of that, um, that's not because you have poor mental health that your mental health is affected. It's because you're being treated shabbily in many ways. Got it. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much for that. And Sarah, thanks for the call. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling, filling in for Stephen Henderson today. And I want to hear from you. We are talking about America's mental health moment. It's finally here. So how are you noticing changes in the ways that you think and talk about mental health? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. I'm talking with Anna North of Vox and Dr. Cindy Morgan. We'll continue the conversation. And I do want to hear from you. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Detroit Today. I'm Anna Marie Seisling, filling in for Stephen Henderson. And the conversation is America's mental health moment finally here. Joining me is Anna North, an author and senior correspondent at Vox, where she recently wrote a story with that title, America's Mental Health Moment is Finally Here, and Dr. Cindy Morgan, a clinical psychologist with more than 35 years of experience. So, Anna, uh, you note that most visibly this change that we're seeing with these young athletes, it's being driven by black women in their 20s or younger. Um, You know, when we think about the kind of racial component of this and then also the generational aspect, I'm wondering, what do you make of the fact that many of these young athletes are black women and they're all members of a younger generation? Um, The millennial generation has famously been called the therapy generation, but I'm I'm wondering, do you think Gen Z, uh, black women specifically in Gen Z, might be the kind of subset generation that destigmatizes therapy? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really powerful that in a lot of ways, um, the athletes who have come forward, and it's not just um, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, but but we've seen other young black athletes come forward and speak openly about mental health. I think it's really powerful for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one person I talked to for the story, Michael Lindsay, um, who is a mental health expert um, at NYU, um, talked about how, you know, black women have often been on the forefront of sort of social change and social justice, and this is really no different. Um, and I think it's also, it's, it's notable, you know, black athletes and black women athletes really are, are people whom like American society has asked a lot of and people 
whom American society hasn't always given a lot back to. I'm thinking about Serena Williams, who's really faced a ton of racism and a ton of sexism over her career. And that's a really common experience to black women athletes. So I think it's powerful for these young black women to say, I am going to take care of myself, you know, um, and, and perhaps to say, you know, I'm, I'm worth this. This is important coming out and, and really, really executing in that self-care, I think, is, is really powerful in a society that, like, really hasn't always valued black women athletes in the way that it needs to. Um, and, and I think youth matters here, too. I think... Um, we have seen Gen Z sort of be more open about mental health in certain ways. Um, you know, we've seen experts say that um, folks in Gen Z are experiencing a lot of mental health problems, but at the same time, they're also being open about talking about them and being open about seeking treatment. And I, I think there's there's a lessening of the stigma there, even um, even a difference from the millennial generation to Gen Z. And I also think there's there's starting certain ideas about work are starting to wane, I think, in younger generations, I think, for for boomers and really even for for millennials. And I, I you know, count myself among the millennial generation. I think there's this idea, you know, that no pain, no gain thing, I think, resonates even outside of athletics. I think people sort of are trained to put their nose to the grindstone and not complain and feel like they have to pay their dues and potentially even damage themselves in the process. And I think folks from Gen Z might be a little less willing to do that, perhaps seeing how our jobs are so insecure and don't necessarily take care of us. So we need to take care of ourselves. Absolutely. That precarity is a very real factor in our day to day lives. I want to get back to the phones now. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Mental health. Are you thinking about it a little bit more? Have you started seeing a therapist? Are you doing mental health check ins with your loved ones more regularly these days? Let's go to Kathy and Chelsea. Kathy, welcome to Detroit today. What's on your mind? I wanted to address um, what's happening with community mental health in a structural uh, way. I have a, an adult um, son who has a mental disability, and he's been through the system. He's 37 now, and he's been through the system since he was 17. And the system, I've seen it changed incredibly poorly over that time frame. At first, you know, they saw him as a special needs person, and they were very helpful and sympathetic and compassionate, and they had you know, 60 counselors on the ground for, you know, for mental health people. And then um, in just in the last couple of years, community mental health has been uh, cut back so severely that they have maybe six counselors on the ground for all of a big city, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, now they've, they've criminalized it. You know, now people who have uh, real mental health issues are being shunted through the criminal system and mental health has been criminalized to such an extreme that, you know, he's gotten beaten up and it's, it's awful. It's just terrible how we've de-funded um, uh, community mental health through the years and criminalized something that, you know, someone doesn't have any control over. Sure. It's a disability. Kathy, uh, thank you so much for calling and sharing your story. And, you know, I'm reminded of um, what so many activists around defund the police were, were talking about, you know, saying it's not just about defunding the police. It's about refunding these other kinds of social safety programs. Dr. Morgan, I'm wondering if you can respond to uh, what Kathy was saying there on the call. Well, I, I can. Kathy, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about that experience, although unfortunately, I think that it is a common one across most of the country, certainly across Michigan. Um, and I, I do think that 
many parts of the criminal justice system have gotten more involved in treating mental health as more of a choice that people have when they don't. But there have also been things happening in the justice system, more mental health courts, as they're called, where they try to really divert people into treatment programs. The trouble is our treatment programs are vastly underfunded and we don't have any, the resources to really respond to it. So I think this idea of we're not going to defund the police, we need to expand our justice, criminal justice system response to people to take a look at the whole person, which includes their mental health needs that may be driving some of what's going on. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Morgan, um, you know, so I, I think it's really important to kind of point out that there are two things really that seem to be happening here. So the first is this kind of willingness to openly discuss mental health and then the willingness to seek mental health care uh, when that is available for people to try to access. I'm wondering um, if you can speak to just kind of anecdotally what you have been seeing as a clinical psychologist. In what ways do you uh, relate this kind of willingness to be more open about mental health and tend to one's mental health needs to the pandemic? Well, I think that the pandemic pushed people to the edge and people seek mental health treatment when they're in enough pain. If their shame about their mental health needs or the fear of the stigma attached is greater than their pain, then they won't seek treatment. The pandemic did away with many people's support systems. For some, the entire structure of their life changed. If they suddenly had kids at home and maybe weren't working, so they're worried about money, they're trying to help their children navigate whatever kind of online learning there was in their school system, which varied quite widely. All of that put people in a pressure cooker, which I think in some ways made them more willing to seek help. I've also found that people are more willing to talk to other folks in their support system about, I need this. Sometimes spouses or parents or siblings have been not supportive of people seeking help. And as more people kind of get in this pressure cooker, there's been perhaps some easing about that. Now, not everywhere. Some people still really see it as, no, you're, I mean, my family, when I went into training, saw it as only crazy people need therapy. And um, if I suggested therapy, it was, what do you think I'm crazy? And instead of seeing it as, no, no, therapy is a place to help sort out what's not working and to see if there are other options that you might have that you could choose if you felt more free to choose them. Sure. I want to get back to the phones now, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019 if you would like to join the conversation here on Detroit Today. Let's go to Carol in Southfield. Carol, welcome to Detroit Today. What's on your mind? Yes, I was just uh, thinking about how wonderful it was for Osaka and for Bows to own up to their depression. It seems to have freed them up uh, and allowed for them to embrace uh, even the the winning of the silver and the bronze as if it was gold, because uh, just holding on to that depression without it having a voice caused more depression. So it seems to have been a healing process within itself. 
Absolutely. Carol, I really appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Anna, I'll put that to you. So, you know, uh, talking about these athletes and talking about really just the last year and a half, the ways that it has created mental health challenges and has also brought about some really important changes in how we kind of collectively discuss mental health. Um, What do you make of Carol's comment? I'm wondering, too, uh, do you think that this kind of shift towards valuing mental health a bit more, is it situational kind of in the moment or do you think it's here to stay? Um, Yeah, I mean, first of all, Carol, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I think it's really powerful to see this. I think it's really powerful to see to see folks saying, you know, I'm 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 enough. You know, I'm it's enough for me to care for myself. It's enough for me to be healthy and well and to still have these enormous achievements. You know, even if it's not the gold medal, Simone Biles, she already has so many gold medals. She's already achieved so much. I think there, you know, I'm just from the outside. But to me, there was a sense of her not feeling like she needed to prove things anymore and just feeling like she needed to do what was right for her. I think that's going to be really powerful for a lot of people watching. Um, And the question of whether this will have longevity, this sort of mental health moment that I hope we find ourselves in, that's a little harder. I think, um, you know, Dr. Morgan has really, and some callers have really made important points around the big systemic issues that we still have in terms of funding. Um, You know, I'll also say um, huge numbers of Americans, um, you know, 14.5%, I think, of non-elderly Americans in this country don't have health insurance. So that means for them, it's really hard to access mental health support. And that's a big, you know, a big issue we have to tackle, um, you know, just in terms of in terms of inequality around who can get help around these issues. Um, that's going to be much harder than just sort of us raising awareness around the problem. And it's certainly my hope that this pandemic will lead to real systemic changes, but there's absolutely going to need to be, you know, real things that cost money and that, uh, and, and that require work by legislators and decision makers beyond, you know, the encouraging raise in awareness that I think we've seen. Dr. Morgan, we've only got about 30 seconds left, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to have the last word here. You know, as we move forward trying to uh, create more self-care in our own lives, do you have a couple of, uh, of tips for people listening about ways that they can try to embrace uh, their mental health and take a bit more care in their day-to-day lives? Oh, that's such a great question, and it's it deserves a whole conversation on its own. But I think often what I tell people and what I see when people come in is, they are so self-critical about what they may need or any flaws they perceive that the kindest thing you can do is think, if my best friend came to me with these problems, what would I say to them? And then say that to yourself. Dr. Cindy Morgan, a clinical psychologist with more than 35 years of experience and Anna North author and senior correspondent of Vox. Thank you both so much. Thank you. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Stephen Henderson will be back in the host chair tomorrow.